I want you to open your Bible to two verses of Scripture, one in Ephesians chapter 6, and the other one in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. Ephesians chapter 6 and the last verse. In closing his epistle, Paul writes, Grace be with all them that love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. You know, we can read that and just keep going and not think about it. But if you stop and dwell on it for a moment, it makes you think about where you are and how sincere you are. The title of my message today is, How Do You Love the Lord? You could say, How Do You Love the Lord? Or you could say, how do you love the Lord? Which is what I want to talk about, both of those. I want to ask the question to the whole group of us here today and whoever watches, whoever listens. How do you love the Lord? We assume we all do. We assume that being a church member, going to church, having some affiliation with Christianity in some way qualifies us as loving the Lord. And yet, as I'll try to show you today, that's not true. There are lots of people who don't love the Lord on Bible standards. I'm not trying to make this hard. I'm not trying to leave anything out. I just want to try to present this message today as something by which you can judge how you love. Whether you indeed, as a person, love the Lord the way he wants you to. Because we all have a definition of love that's not always the same as what the Bible says. Because God has a way of defining things to us that it doesn't matter what you think about it. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. I mean, this is the way it is, period. And it's never going to change. So he said to those Ephesians in closing, Grace be with all them that love the Lord in sincerity. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 16, 1 Corinthians 16 and verse 22, almost the end of that chapter. Paul writes again, if any man love not the Lord Jesus Christ, let him be anathema, maranatha. Isn't that a strange way to close a verse? Anathema is a word which means accursed, to be cursed. You're on the outs. You're not anywhere in with the Lord. You're on the outside. You're cursed, accursed. If any man love not the Lord, let him be accursed. Then he says, Maranatha, which means the Lord is coming. And when he comes, that distinction will be clear as who loves the Lord and who doesn't. And what subject is given more place to in the New Testament than the word love? It's from one end of the New Testament to the other end of the New Testament. Love is spoken many, many times, used a lot. It's the main word in Christianity because it's a word that describes God. God is love. And now, how we understand that as to what that means depends on how the Bible defines it. For example, there are two main Greek words in the Bible for love. There are three Greek words. The other is uh, eros, in which we get erotic, which is not a Bible word, no need for that. But the two main words in the New Testament is A-G-A-P-E, or A-G-A-P-A-O, agape, agape. I would just use the word agape. That's the first and main word, and it is a word which describes the highest kind of love the Bible speaks of, because it's what God is. God is love. It is a love that goes out without expecting anything back. It's a giving love. It's the nature of God and the nature of this kind of love, wherever it is, to go out to do something good, to be merciful, to show compassion or something, and it doesn't expect a return. It sometimes gets a return, but it's not doing it because you get something out of it. It is an out-of-self love. It has nothing to do with self. It is a love that is motivated brought forth by a divine love, God's love. 
God so loved the world, John 3, 16. It says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And the whole world basically has rejected him. I mean, the world you're living in right now, just about all of it. There's a few. There's always, Jesus said there's going to always be a few, a remnant. But almost all the world has rejected Christ. Or all the world has redefined Christ. They have an image of Christ the way they want him to be, and that's what they worship. But they don't love him on God's terms. They have learned to love him on their terms. They've made him to be the way they think he should be, which satisfies them, their lifestyle, and things like that. But that's not love. Love, again, this higher form of love, agape, is the God kind of love. Many, many, many key verses talk about it and how it's used. We use it many times to describe our personal relationship to God as it should be. Jesus said this, using the word agape in John 14. He said, if any man loves me, if any man has a love for me that is prompted by me and desires me, that man will keep my word. In other words, he'll be faithful. This is the highest expression of a relationship any of us could have. An honest and sincere, Ephesians 6, 24, sincerity, an honest and sincere relationship to God whereby I want to do what you said, period. Just because you're God and you deserve it, that's what I want to do. That's agape love. The Bible said again, if any man loves me, Jesus said he'll keep my word. Then he added this, because this is where the Christian life finds its meaning. And when a man loves me by keeping my word, he said the Father and I will visit him, or we will disclose ourselves to him. The Father and I will come to him. We will make ourselves known to him. And so this decision to... Just love the Lord and let go of all your resistance. Oh, Lord, it's too hard. Just love him. Do what he said. He said, you'll find a relationship follows, whereby God becomes everything he should be, and he wants to be in your life, which only prompts you to live more and more that way. But alas, that highest kind of love is not always found with folks in the church. But it's there. It's supposed to be. For example, the effect of agape in our life should affect the way we relate to each other. You should love others as I have loved you. And you think of that. We don't love people because they love us back. We love people because it's the nature of God to love, whether you love me back or not. Love your enemies. How can you love your enemy? Well, it's not because you have some affection and attraction toward him. But you see a human being that has a need. A human being that is maybe in a dire straits. If your neighbor who is ugly and mean, his oxen falls into a ditch, you help get him out. Not because your neighbor deserves it. But because there's something in you that compels you to want to relieve the suffering or the difficulty of other people. We call that mercy. A woman loves her husband, as we've said, not because he deserves it. A man loves his wife, not because she's earned it or deserved it, but because that's what I committed myself to do when I married him or her, to love them. How? Like Christ loved the church. He brought us here today. How many of us love him the way he loves us? He told us to. How many of us sitting here this morning love each other the way he wanted us to love each other? Well, see, you've got to answer that. I can't. I'm only trying to define what he says when he says love so you can measure yourself whether or not you love the Lord yourself. If we see somebody in a need, remember 1 John 3, 17, I think he said, if you seeing a brother in a need, if you seeing somebody that has a need, they may not be a good guy, might not be a nice guy, may not be your friend. But you see it, well, it could be a brother, maybe a difficult brother. But he has a need. Bible said, if you shut up your heart, your bowels is referring to your innermost being. If you shut up your heart of compassion from that person, you don't really care if they do well or not. If your attitude is, I don't care. 
The question is, how does the love of God dwell in you? Because that's not the nature of God's love in us to not care about people. We can't always help people. Sometimes just because you don't stop and do something for everybody doesn't mean you don't like some of them. You can't help everybody in the world. I mean, how many times did Jesus walk past lepers and beggars and did nothing and said nothing? You couldn't walk where he walked without walking by multitudes of them. But there are some people like Peter and John in Acts chapter 3, when they walked by, it was for them to do something about it. We said, I think we said that last week. So you see, love having in our hearts the effect of divine love, God loving us the way he has, and having that love in us compels us to express it to each other. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 4 for just a moment. 1 Peter chapter 4, and look at verse 8. He says, and above all things... He's talking about the church. Let me say that the church is what God's focused on on this earth right now. The church in Israel. But verse 8. And above all things, have fervent love or charity among yourselves, for love shall do what? It doesn't remember the wrongs that other people have done. It doesn't hang on to a grudge. You read 1 Corinthians 13, the chapter on love. Vaunteth not itself. Seeketh not its own. It's just something in you that, that when God has it in there and you yield to it, it just changes the way you are. You're the kind of a person who just reaches out. Again, who deserves to be reached out to? We certainly didn't. Who reached out to us then? God. Why did he care for us? Because he loved us. Love will do that. But this is the zenith. This is what love in its highest form is. And when it's found in a church, even as the word fervent, that's intense love for each other. We really care about each other. We want to see everybody do well. We want to make sure that everybody is, is getting along and doing it. That's why we speak the truth in love to some people because they're not trying very hard. And you want them to. If they keep going the way they are, God will have to judge it because he said he would. He's holy. He doesn't let things slip like we do. He deals with it. And sometimes he puts it on our heart to go to somebody. Or maybe write them a note or a phone call or something. Or to encourage each other. Love will do that. I mean, all through the epistles, you see where he said things of that sort. And then, you know, recently we're talking about missions. We're looking at Romans 5. In verse 5, and this is what he says about those who have a desire to relieve afflictions in places where God puts on their heart. He said in Romans chapter 5, in verse 5, and hope or expectation maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Isn't that interesting that God makes sure that our life, the display of our life, the way we are perceived and seen, no matter where we are, abroad might be across Broadway, the other side of the street. Abroad could be somewhere else in the world. But the point is, to you who are my people, I want to use you to show the world what I'm like. And I laid down my life for people in this world that didn't deserve it. And Jesus said in John 13, there's no greater love than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. And then he said the very next verse, and you are my friends if you do what I tell you to do, because that is what love does. Love honors God, serves God, trusts in the Lord, whatever the Lord wants. When you're led by God and you're really wanting to live on his terms, and you'll find that you're able to love people you didn't think you could. You'll be able to do things in a way that just shows that I love the Lord. Now, it's easy to say you love the Lord, but you can say you love the Lord and leave all this out. 
we, by virtue of living in a modern world, we have our own definitions. Well, you see it that way. Somebody said, I see it this way. You can't read the Bible and see it any other way. Or you could probably see it some other way if you're twisted. But the way God describes things is the way God wants it to be and the way he wants it. Now, the other word for love is phileo and the forms of that. This is a lesser kind of love. This is not a love that goes out without anything back. It's a selfish kind of love. It's a self-serving kind of love. It doesn't do bad. I mean, it's just that you find yourself attracted to people that you like. The Greek word means a kiss. We saw Judas do that to Jesus because that was a greeting. You didn't go greet your enemy. That would have stuck a sword in you with a kiss. But you greeted your friends, the people you were companions with. It's a word that describes fondness, being fond of, having affections for. People that you derive pleasure from being around. A fraternity brother or a club member kind of a relationship that you have. It's a kind of word that describes... Let me just overdo this. It's the kind of word that describes you liking somebody. And that's the word used in 1 Corinthians 16. And think of this. If any man is not fond of the Lord, if any man doesn't like the Lord, if any man finds no attraction to the Lord or derives any pleasure from the Lord, let him be cursed. I mean, God knows, I think, that a lot of people are still working on getting to that highest level. We have to keep talking about it so you can keep thinking about it. But as we are progressing upwards to the measure of the stature and so forth, we have to realize that one of the things we have to do, we have to enjoy the Lord. I mean, I have to want to be here. I have to have in me, I pray that I do, an enjoyment of hearing the word. Hearing people preach. I enjoyed Wednesday night. No matter who you are, where you are, God is with you. I like that. I enjoy that. I don't always achieve that every day, and oh God, but I like it. I derive pleasure from being in this building this morning with you. I don't want to not be here. I've come to like this. I've come to love this. I've come to look forward, even though I preach. I've come to look forward to hearing the word myself. Now, I don't know how you take that. Because I don't have a clue half the time what's going to come out of my mouth. I have an idea. But so many times things are prompted while you're here that you didn't plan to say or an illustration you, didn't, you never thought of. You think you worked on it for at least 10 minutes, but there's just something about what would I do without the Lord? I mean, what would life be like without? Oh, it'd be terrible. Because I have that kind of a affection and relationship with the Lord. And listen, the Bible said, if you don't have that, and how many people in churches today don't even want to hear the word? Don't want you to preach on some subjects. I don't want to hear it. How many self-serving people are in the Christian life as long as it satisfies and pleases them? Because if they don't get what they want with itching ears, they're going to find somebody that will. Let me say it like this. They don't love the Lord. They love themselves. They love that style that pleases them. They're Christians that have made themselves a little kingdom. They have little kingdom people that preach in their little kingdom and they say what they want to hear in their little kingdom. And if you say something like the Bible says, they'll say to you, prophesy smooth things. Quit talking about the Holy One of Israel. Hey, power down a little bit, brother. We're all right. They came to Moses one time and said, we're all holy. They just don't want to be located, be defined by the Lord. They don't want to hear about things we should not do because we have a lifestyle we want to live. Quite frankly, multitudes, not talking about me, but multitudes of people would say, I don't want to give up my Christmas. Man, I got a lot of good stuff I get every December 25th. And I don't want you preaching about that. I don't care what the truth is. I don't want to hear it if it's going to change me. 
And I'll tell you this morning, Paul wrote, those people do not love the Lord. They love themselves. Because a love of God means you have to abandon most your love for self. The very thing that kept us out of the house and kept the door shut to God was ourselves. We didn't like it. We didn't want it. I don't want to do that. I don't want to set that long. He preaches too long. I don't like her or them. I don't like the way they do this. They didn't paint it the right color. I don't know why we have to get it. We're not spending money right. I don't like it. And so based on all of that, I ain't going to go. And you, you don't love the Lord either. Because you see, that might be hard to say, but I think it's true. I mean, the text that we use in 1 Corinthians 16, you've got to deal with that. If any man loves not the Lord, let him be a curse. The question is, do you love the Lord? How do you love the Lord? That's the title of the message. Do you love the Lord? How do you love the Lord? It's love. Phileo. And it's used several times in the Bible. Did you know that God likes you? In John 16, I think in verse 27 and around in there somewhere, it talks about that God likes you because you like Jesus. God phileos you because you phileo Jesus. You enjoy God. You enjoy his son Jesus. I like to hear about it. I like to sing about it. I like to shut my eyes and imagine about it while I'm singing, if I know the song. It's just something about God that is so important to me that I want that to be a priority in my life. I want to be in the meeting. I want to be with you, and I want you to be with me. I want us to be together. I want us to enjoy the Lord. We're only here for two hours, four hours a week. Surely I can say, God. But see, on them other days of the week, we have to enjoy them too, to enjoy the Lord, to find pleasure in God. Sometimes just to sit When you're not singing, shut your eyes and listen to people sing and think of the words. You're enjoying it. Somebody preaches a word and you find yourself going, "Mm, man, that is, he knew I was coming. My wife wrote him a note. When there is a love for God in you, there's something in there that also says, but I need this. I need that. A worldly person saying, I ain't going to listen to that. But no, you said I need that, Lord. I need that. I'm not living good, and I'm not doing as right as I should, but Lord, I need that. The question this morning, do you, sitting in here this morning, do you like the Lord? Do you like him? Are you fond of, have affection for God and his word? Are you desirous to have him speak plainly to you, no matter what your problem is, but to identify so you can know how you stand before God? Do you want that? See, there's something of God that makes you like that. Are you with me? There's something that God does that makes us like that. This is what God wants. Let me show you how these two words are used in one of my favorite passages in all the scripture. Go to John 21, how the words agape and phileo are used in the same story, in the same picture. What a picture. John 21, the disciples are at the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee in verse 1. There were seven of the disciples there or the apostles And in verse 3, Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a fishing. Now, right away, if you read that, there's something wrong here. But what could be wrong with that? That's what Peter did all of his life. Well, there's quite a bit wrong with this because Jesus told his disciples distinctly in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 16, he said, The eleven disciples went away unto Galilee, unto a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. The angel had said it. Go to Galilee, to a mountain where I will meet you. And so they went to the mountain. They went to Galilee. It's quite a walk. They had to walk from Jerusalem up to the Jordan Valley, up to the Sea of Galilee. So they went up there. And apparently they knew where to go, and they went there. 
And like so many of us, they were sitting there waiting on the Lord to come, but he said, I'll go before you. So apparently he's already there. But he hadn't appeared to them yet. And Peter says, I go fishing. Now the words, I go. Interesting. In the Greek dictionary, I go is a word that has to do with secrecy or to just kind of disappear. It's a word which would kind of define just quietly going away. No big announcement, just said, you know what? I'm out of here. Peter would say, where are you going? I'm going back to doing the only thing that ever worked right for me. I'm going fishing. Well, Peter, Jesus told us to meet him here. Will you stay here then? I'm going fishing. Didn't we tell him we left all to follow him? Well, I had mine parked up a cove over here in case this day ever came and it's still there. So at least I got something. So Peter's going to go fishing. And John said, we'll go with you. The other six did. So here's these disciples. They're not supposed to be in a boat fishing. They're supposed to be in a mountain meditating, waiting for the Lord. And Peter, I don't want to get on Peter too hard. I don't want to say bad things about him because he's a good man. He's a good man. Yeah, how could a man be good that denied the Lord three times? Like we never have. Peter was a boaster. He said, oh no, Lord. He said, others may deny you, not me. I won't deny you. I'll follow you to the very end. Jesus said, when the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. I could hear Peter say, you, no, no, not me. Peter, we can't go fishing. Man, you've got the keys of the kingdom. Yeah, right. I mean, he spoke of you often. Yeah, Jesus said, yeah. You remember the time I was on the sea and I began to walk on the water? You all sat in the boats, scared of cats, but I got out there and walked. What did he say to me when I began to sink? He said, oh, you have little faith. That's what he said to me. What, he didn't say nothing to you all. <laughs> and that one time I said, oh, no, Lord, you're not going to do that. That's not going to happen. He said, get thee behind me, Satan. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but the things that be of men. How would you feel if he said that to you? Oh. <laughs> you know, when they came to get him in the garden, I, you know, I, well, you're not getting Jesus, and I whacked that guy's ear off, and I got rebuked for it. I'm going fishing. I, if one thing has marked my life, he said, I just mess up all the time. I made a lot of mistakes. I meant well. I thought I was doing really good. I stood up, spoke my mind, said what I had to say. And here I am. Just cursed the other day. They said, you know him. You're one of them. I blankety blank don't know him if that's what they meant by curse. He denied vehemently that he did not know the Lord. I'm not with him. I'm saving me. I'm not going to die for him. I said I would, but I, you know, that's just church talk. But I mean, I, this is serious now because if, if I'm identified with him, they're going to kill me too. Well, no, I don't know him. Because I love me more than I love him. I love my life more than his. I love saving me more than I do dying for him. It's just the way it is. But in his heart... Oh, his heart was broken. Remember that? He went out and wept. Well, he did. Peter just must have been brokenhearted. And then the angel said, go tell his disciples and Peter to meet me up there. Is he not a disciple anymore? Oh, God. So there he sits. Jesus isn't coming. The mind says, he probably won't come as long as you're here with this crowd because you're no good. You messed up. Remember what you did last time, last year, last month, last night? Remember what you did? You messed up. I mean, you don't love the Lord. You, everything he's wanted you to do, you've done the opposite. Why would he want to fool with you? You're as common as dirt. You know, 
You probably never had thoughts like that. You've never had failure thoughts or I'm not loved or who cares about me. I'm not good enough thoughts. I've messed up so much thoughts. Peter said, you know what? Everything about me is wrong. I thought it was good, but I'm going fishing. I'm just going to quietly disappear. I'm just going to quietly by stealth steal away. I'm going to get in my boat. I'm going fishing. They said, we are going with you. Now, how can we meet Jesus on the mountain if we're in a boat? Jesus caused a great storm to come on the sea, and a great big whale came up and swallowed all seven of them. <laughs> then spit them all out, all of them out on the land. That'd been a glossy story, wouldn't it? No, they're in a boat fishing. They're not doing any good at that either. They fished all night, hadn't caught anything. Somebody's sitting on a beach over there, they got a fire going. He said, little children, or boys, have you caught anything? No, we haven't caught anything. Cast your nets on the other side. And I can hear, this sounds like Luke 5 to me. How about you, y'all? <laughs> so they cast their nets on the other side, and all those little Jewish fish just whoo, ran into that net, a hundred and some of them, and they... They had to drag them to the shore. And John said, it's Jesus. The one we're denying right now. The one we're not loving right now. The one we're not doing what he said to do right now. That's him. He's on the shore. Peter, oh boy. Okay, jump in the water, hold your nose. And then let, let go and take a big gulp of water and just drown. You know, good, he doesn't want you. But there was something inside that man that couldn't let go of him. How many backsliders have been reclaimed because God wouldn't let go of them? God didn't start a work in Peter to leave him in that condition. He just let all of this happen. He told him, he said, Simon, Simon, the devil has desired you that he might sift you as wheat. You're being sifted right now. That's those feelings you're having right now. The aggravation and the disappointment with yourself, that's all arranged. You're so haughty and proud and puffed up and so full of yourself. God's got to take all that out of you if you're ever going to be useful to him. And this is the process. The devil is sifting you like that. But Jesus said, I prayed for you that your faith won't fail. Then it's not going to fail. And when he saw Jesus... Man, he put his swimming clothes around him, went into the water, came to the shore. I've tried to picture this for years, what that first look must have been like. Here's Peter all dripping wet, staring at the one he wants to love, but he's only failed. The one he wants to run away from, and he can't. The one he wants, I'm done with all of that, but he can't let go of it. He's a marked man for heaven. And there he is. The other men dragged those fishes to the shore. Bring me one of those fish. And there is a resurrected Jesus fixing fish for these guys to eat. And they're sitting around the campfire beginning in verse 15. Now, I've been around a few fires in my life, listening to the wood crack and pop. I think it's one of life's joys. I really and honestly do is to sit around a fire and just sit around and watch it and listen to it. Listen to sticks burn. Have good friends you can talk to. But he said in John chapter 21 verse 15, so when they had dined, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon son of Jonas, agape me more than these more than your companions? You love me more than these guys? And he says unto him, yes. Now listen to this. Yes, Lord, thou knowest that I phileo you. How could he say he has an unhindered love for Christ? He's been just outspoken his whole life. 
That got him a lot of press, you know, a lot of attention. He was a spokesman. He did on day of Pentecost too, though. He was the kind of man God was going to use. He said, Simon, son of Jonas, do you have a devoted, committed, God kind of love for me more than you do these? Can you imagine how quiet everything was around him when Jesus is talking to Peter? Peter says, I'm not going to stand up here in front of all these guys or you and say, oh, I love you, Lord. You know I love you because I just proved I don't. I just proved in Jerusalem that I love me more than I love you. But Lord, I am I'm attracted to you. I can't get away from this. I can't get you off of my mind. It doesn't mean I have agape love for you, but you're on my heart and mind. I can't get rid of it, and I don't want to. But I don't know what to do with it because I keep failing. Oh, Jesus looked at him. He said again, verse 16. He said unto him a second time, Simon, son of Jonas, agape, agape, O thou me. And he said unto him, yes, Lord, you know that I am fond of you, that I have great, strong feelings for you, that I, that I desire things about you. Yes, I love you that way, but the other way, no, I don't have the high kind of love. I'm being honest. So the third time, verse 17 Jesus said to him, the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, phileoist, if I may say it that way, do you like me? Are you fond of me? Do you derive pleasure from me? You like being around me? You like hearing my words? You like just being affected by me? You're not one to sleep in and not go to church because you're tired, are you? Oh, no, Lord. Do you like me this way? Peter being grieved at the very challenge of whether or not he even liked the Lord. He said unto him, Lord, you know all things. In verse 17, he said, Lord, you know all things. And Lord, you know this, that I love you. I like you. I, I do, Lord. This I know. With all my flaws... With all my foolishness and all my weaknesses and all my failures, I do love you in this lesser way. I do. This is where I am. And three times, Jesus took a man who could not admit that he loves him with this holy and divine love. Three times he said, then do this for me. Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Sheep need attention. Feed my sheep. The word feed is the word poimeno. It means to shepherd. It's one of the main words in the Bible for shepherding or overseeing or watching over or organizing, keeping stock of, taking care of God's people. That's the focus of God. It's not how many worlds can we send you to, but it's a local assembly where God puts you as a sheep that you can grow and there qualify yourself. He said, I want you in the state that you're in with the answer you just gave me. I know your heart, Peter. I want you to feed my sheep. I can only imagine sitting there with a, my own personal legalistic desire to be somewhat theologically right all the time. I can sit there and say, why would he say feed my sheep? Lord, he's not what you want. You're looking around these other sick. You reckon you all are? You're here with him. You're supposed to be on the mountain too. You're following him because he's a natural leader. And he said, Lord, I love you. I, I, I don't want to miss an opportunity to be around you, to be with you. I just struggle sometimes with how far I'm willing to commit myself on your behalf. 
I realize, Lord, you've shown me of this sifting process I've just gone through, that there's a whole lot of love for me in me more than there is a whole lot of love for you. But, Lord, there's something in me that really is attracted to and loves you. And I can't get away from that. And you know that's true, Lord. You know it is because you know everything. You know what Jesus says to an honest heart of a man who's willing to locate himself on God's terms? You like me? Yes, I said, I believe you do. He said, I want you to shepherd my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to care for the flock. For there are multitudes of people that are so self-serving, they've left a flock. A flock has disintegrated, and they're just scattered. They're running to and fro around the earth. They have nobody to teach them. The fields are white. People are confused and bewildered and dislocated, and, and I want you. These are my people. I want you to gather them in like you would sheep. I want you to take care of them. I want you to feed them. I want you to keep an eye on them. I'm going to hold you responsible for doing that. But Lord, why would you want to use somebody that's less than agape? Why would you be willing to use a lesser love to do a greater work? And maybe he's saying to us, well, I'm not looking at you this morning because you're all perfect and fully grown the way you should be. I'm looking at your heart to see where you are with regards to me right now. Do you like me? Do you enjoy being around the Lord? Do you enjoy a meeting? Do you enjoy going to church or are you looking for some way out of it? Some excuse where you don't have to be here? That's the question. As again, our text said, if any man love not the Lord, let him be anathema. Do you love me? I believe this, that sifting, as Satan did to Jesus, I believe that's a vital part of many of our lives because it's the way we get humbled. Sometimes, as I said in the, before the meeting, you know, the abundance that God gives us humbles us. It has me. I might not even have abundance. Somebody that has abundance might feel sorry for me. But I'm quite happy. I'm just quite happy. And I'm humbled by the fact that years ago, with what we testify to now, where we were and what we went through and how we had to make do with it. You, know, you talk about houses and things today. We just lived in whatever was available, whatever color it was on the inside, wallpaper or paint. It didn't matter if anything matched or if your pictures were straight. It was a place to live. You're grateful for that because this is where the church is. I'm going to church. The house is all right. I'm going to church. I don't know if I could have it better. Amen. And sometimes I feel like Peter. You get used to this. You start taking things for granted. You know, Brother Hamilton be always in there. You know, we, you can always go to here. You start taking a lot of things for granted. We start letting things slide. This is the last days when people are going to turn away from the Lord. They're going to turn away from the Lord because they don't love him anymore. Things get old and stale. And we no longer feed ourselves on these things that enrich us spiritually. We just kind of let things slide. I remember the old days. Every now and then I run into people from yesteryear in the 60s and 70s and 80s. And they're so dead. They're hammer dead. I look at their aspirations in life. You know what it is? Money. Make money. Church is secondary, third dairy, a fourth dairy, or fifth dairy. Money. Make Money. Well, where we live, there's not even a breath of spirituality here, but we're making money here. Do you really think you can haul all of that to heaven? Do you think that'll get you in? Well, we give a lot of money to a lot. I don't care where you give it. There was a reason that God has a church and he has a shepherd in a church and he put people in a church. 
In fact, now this part, as I close, is Jeff's fault. Because <laughs> he said something Wednesday night, and it, I don't know what the rest of his sermon was, but I thought, I'm going to use that. <laughs> Turn, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5. Now we're talking about, do you love the Lord? And these last days, there's a little bit of staleness, drifting around. No longer a living water, a bubbling stream, but sort of a little pool that's kind of getting stagnant. I remember the old days. I remember yesteryear. Yesteryear won't save you today. Today is a day of salvation. So he said, you also as living stones, in verse 5, are being built together into what? A spiritual house. Wow, a spiritual house. To offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Christ Jesus. Is living stones. Now, okay, but here's a stone. This is a refined stone. And here's another stone. Another refined stone. How many of you know the stones start out as rocks? How many of you know what a rock is? <laughs> if you got a rock here, and the rock is what you want, but you can't use because of the edges, don't you have to kind of do this? That right, Charles? Or Charles got a machine, but I mean, he's trying to make it flat. Why do you want to make it flat? So it fits with somebody else. I don't like all that flat-making sermons. <laughs> Uh, another one of them flat-making sermons. I don't like flat-making sermons. Well, then you ain't going to fit in the church yet. Because God is not putting a pastor over a pile of rocks. A pile of rocks is not a local assembly. With some hired gun to come in and see if he can do better with them. Living stones are rocks that have been trimmed and made flat, we would say in the Bible, they are now useful to the Lord because they fit. Now, Colossians 2, you need to turn to this, and verse 19. Colossians 2, 19. And not holding fast the head, let me emphasize this again. I think the focus of God for you and me right now on this earth is the church. Not how busy we can be, not how many adventures we can have, but a church, a local church. And your part in it. Because you are of it. Listen. And not holding fast the head. This is what you're talked out of in verse 18, the, the world system. But verse 19, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Now, let me call your attention to one, the head and having nourishment ministered. Could I do this and say that God or Christ as head of the church is the one who ministers what he does to the church? That without what he offers, we don't have much because we are not able to make ourselves nourishment. It has to come from him. That's why we properly taught, we will see our need to constantly be dependent on our source, the head. And he says, what comes from the head as nourishment ministered is what enables what is called joints and bands ministered. God has obligated and committed himself to you to bring to you what he has to bring you in order for you to be what you need to be. But you can't realize the fullness of that until you take what he gives you and give it to somebody else. What comes from heaven goes to each other. Love each other as 
as I have loved you. If he hasn't loved you and you don't know what that is, you can't love somebody else. You can work with a system of man. You can be on a board together. You can go golfing together. But you can't love together. Only God can give anybody the capacity to do that. And that's a game changer when it comes to the church. It is a game changer. It makes all the difference that is not in the world. All the difference that God brings, he brings to us. So he said, holding fast the head from whom all the body, there's more of these stones around here. This is me and this is you, okay? And then all your buddies and, you know, more of these around you. I'm just using two stones. He said, the body's nourishment, Shelbyville Christian Assemblies need and game changer is for what God wants to give us to be received. Because that's the only way he's going to change us. Now go to the next chapter, Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Put on, therefore, as members of Shelbyville Christian Assembly or any assembly, wherever you are. Put on, therefore, robe yourself, clothe yourself with this. As the elect of God, holy and beloved, bows or innermost beings of mercies. Put on kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so do you do also. Now let me ask you a question. Is that scripture? Does it tell us that we, as God's elect, his chosen ones, brought together by him, breathed upon by the Holy Spirit, working in us, God working in the church, God is working in you too. And his design is to what? To change you. To reorient your life and your direction and your goals and your attitude. To change everything about you. This is what he does. Why does he do that? Because when I begin to change, I have a different attitude towards you. God's kindness shown to me, I'm going to show to you. The gentleness that God has shown to me and the way he treats me when I'm really, really bad. And the kindness he shows me, I'm going to show to you. You know, some of our experiences ought to make us more loving because we now know how the people feel. I mean, you've been there and now they're going through it. So you can draw alongside to help people like that because you know what they feel like. Jesus, you know, their human experience this morning in the Godhead. God made himself a body. He tabernacled in that body amongst men. He went through what you and I are going through every day. The same attacks that come to us came to him. He was in all points, the Bible says, tempted like we are, yet he never sinned. That means that I don't have to sin because Christ in me is my strength, isn't he? We begin to look at all of this and put all these things together and you begin to realize that I can be kind. I can be, what did he say? I can forbear you. I can be meek and humble. This is the work of God. Why is he changing me to power me down from a worldly thing to a spiritual thing? So I can have benefit in the church. I'm a part of a bigger picture. Actually, I'm a nobody, which God has said, I want you to be a part of my body. I want to put it together. I want to love my people through you. I want you to be to them as I have been to you. I want you to love me by loving others. Because as I have loved you, I now want you to love other people. And be nice and be kind and be thoughtful and be considerate. Have a sensitivity about it. I want you to be a Christian. A Christ-like one. I turn to Ephesians 4. And we'll begin to close. But Ephesians chapter 4. And verse 16. 
Let me get verse 15. But speaking the truth in love, we may grow up into him in all things, which is the head from which our nourishment comes. Grow up into him in all things. Verse 16, from whom? Do you see the word from? Okay, we're talking about a source. Our source for what's going to follow here is from God. Verse 16, from whom the whole body fitly, properly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplies. Now stop. What is a joint? I mean a biblical joint. What is meant here by a joint? It's where two pieces come together, isn't it? You got a bone and a bone, you got a joint. Everywhere two bones meet, you have a joint. 206 bones, 206 joints, all right? 205, one bone is not connected. But anyway, you have all of this coming from the Lord. And he says, the thing that holds the church together is not a clever preacher, not clever programs. That satisfies the flesh. That makes us feel good about what we do and how well we did it. But what pleases God is for a church to be held together spiritually. That what he gives to us becomes the adhesive or the glue, the bond that is in the church. The thing that's going to hold us together is the contribution that each of us make that we have received from the Lord. If we receive nothing, we give nothing. We come here to get. Gimme, gimme, my name is Jimmy, gimme. We come to get, not to give. But it's more blessed to give. So what really I'm doing, God is teaching me how to give. Because love doesn't look for a return. Love looks for the opportunity to give. To give yourself, give your time, give your money, give your efforts, whatever it is you have that he wants you to give, he wants you to give it. And the more I begin to share with you, love you, care about you, the easier it is for you to love me back. Because Philio will do that. Remember, it's an affection. It's an attraction. We have care for each other. We enjoy each other's presence. I can sit down and talk to you all about speaking in tongues. I couldn't talk to somebody down at the bank about that. I could sit here and talk to you about overcoming and dying to self, and people would think you're weird if you talked about that in town. You're the only people I can talk to. But why should it be like that? We have a common source. We're having a common experience. The same God that loves me loves you. And that love is changing me and changing you. Again, verse 16, he said, the joints and the bands in Colossians 3, but he says here in verse 16, from whom the whole body joined together and compacted or held together by that which every joint supplies. What if you don't supply anything to this? What if for you the church is an option? that you don't see any great need for anything you have to give here. Let me tell you all something. Nobody is accepted this morning. Not a one of you. Not you young folks. Not us older folks. Everybody is here with some contribution God has given us to make to the greater whole. We all have a part to play. I'm not here because I like it here. It's an enjoyable place to be. I'm here because the Lord brought me here. I would never have picked Shelbyville. And I doubt that you would either. But you're here and it doesn't matter, does it? It absolutely doesn't matter. Doesn't matter the town, the city. It doesn't matter how close we are to how convenient for us our surroundings are. You're here because the Lord puts you here and you enjoy it. Praise God for being here. Remember, a preacher told me years ago, he said he wasn't going to be parked in a cornfield all of his life. Let me tell you something, there's a lot of worse places in this world you could be than a cornfield. Maybe he's experienced some of it. There are arid deserts out there in which there is nothing. But if a man's not sensitive to God anymore, he doesn't know he's in a desert. He's dying as he lives. Because love 
for himself, where I can go, who notices me, what role I can play, what kind of an opportunity I can get out of this. Life is all about you. But if you love the Lord, it turns around. It's all about him. Jesus told Peter as much. In the last days, he said, you don't have to turn to it, but in John 21, he said, Peter, when you're old, people will lead you where I want you to go. There will be any more resistance in your life to me and what I want from you. You're just going to do it. It won't matter. It won't matter where you live and where you're called to go, what you're called to do, how much you're asked to give or what role you're going to play. It won't even matter. You just do it as unto the Lord. That's your life. That's just your life is to live loving God. That's your life. We may start out here just liking God. You know, I'm liking you and you're liking me. It changes. The more you're into it, from glory to glory to glory, that love that you have, which is here and there, it begins to be more committed to the Lord. So that you really do love Jesus more than you love anybody else. In fact... Your love for Jesus, if it's challenged by your wife, your children, your husband, your career, or your own life, is viewed by you as something you hate. Didn't he say in Luke 14, if any man will follow me, he must hate this, 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 and this? He said, if he can't do that, he can't be my disciple. You can't be my disciple. How many times have we been pinned to a decision? You're either going to have to do this and put your family first or do this and put God first. That's your choice. Everybody in the world will commend you for putting your family first, but you still got to deal with God. You can't get away from that. He won't leave you alone. Called to travel? I was. What's my poor wife going to do? Don't you think I can take care of your poor wife? As she would say to me, there's nothing poor about you anyway. Well, yeah, I think, it, well, then you'd follow me. What about my family? Can't you trust me? You teach on it all the time. Yeah, but there ain't no yabbits. Yabbit is not Christian. You just do it. Okay, and you do it. And I go out and preach. She has all the trials, and I preach about them. <laughs> That's the way it used to be. Everything would go wrong while I'm gone, except the day before I got home and everything. And I'd come home. How you doing? Fine. I thought I was dead yesterday and the day before. I thought the kids were dead, but I'm, I'm fine now. <laughs> I'm fine now. God took care of it. I could not stand here this morning. I am not qualified to stand here if she is not willing to do what she did and I'm not willing to do what I did. It was all part of the plan, part of the preparation. It's a part of the testimony to encourage and inspire you. We're all together in this thing. God has a church. Let me finish verse 16. He has a church and he said, Compacted with that which every joint supplies, according to the effectual working in the measure of what? Every part. That's you. Maketh the increase of the body unto the edifying of itself. How? In love. What we're talking about here, all these things that we do for each other in response to God and our care and our concern, is what love does. We're growing. Hopefully when we grow up to the place where we have the kind of love that God wants. The kind of love like the Shema in Deuteronomy 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Everything about you is all God's. There's no restraints, no holding back. It's all God. Go where, spend what, wherever you want. God gets it. So... Let me close by asking you a question. How do you love the Lord? You folks are sitting here this morning. You've had a chance to look around in your heart and check out your little closets and stuff. How do you love the Lord? Because I think there is a love for God 
I think there is a love for man, which you like God. Then I think there is that superficial religious kind of love where you love the system. You love the feelings. You love the things you do on special days. But you really don't love his word. and You don't love him because that's not what your life is all about. And I want to challenge all of you to consider that because I think the church is full of good people, socially good people, who have not shown that their lesser love even is for God, let alone the greater love. But I do not leave them out because everybody in this room was once there. There was a time when I listened to things and all I could do was wait till the church was over till I could get out of the room. I didn't care anything about this. I didn't love the Lord. I went to church every week. I didn't love the Lord. I loved myself. I liked the system. I liked that. I mean, it was convenient. I liked what people thought about people that went to church and I went to church. That's good. I didn't love the Lord until I got saved. Then all I wanted to do was go to church. And then the world, which liked me before, now thought I was nuts because I want to go to church. I wasn't able to love the Lord the way he wanted at the time, but I sure was excited about the Lord. I held back a few times. But the more he taught, the more the word came in, the more you begin to see the depth of God's love for us. And the fact that what he did, he did for you. And you can be the kind of man the kind of Christian that God wants you to be. And this church really can be what God wants if we are willing to give heed to the Lord and love him with our hearts. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask for your blessing of conviction of insight, revelation, understanding for all of us here. And may all those things that come from heaven this morning, that come to our hearts, make us to be individually what you want us to be and with each other what we need each other to be. I ask in Jesus' name that no word would fall to the ground this morning. And nobody would let a word slip. Lord forbid that our children would ever look back one day and wonder whatever happened to this church. But this is not our church. It's not their church. It's yours. We ask you to protect us, cover us, keep us, teach us, lead us, refine us, and prepare us for the Lord's coming. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.